The scripture reading this morning is found in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. This can be found in page 763 in the Pew Bibles. Uh, Hear these words of Jesus. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's good to be here. Um, it's also really great that Jim is here. I think that's so neat when pastors get to be in their church that they pastor in and preach in and don't have to preach every once in a while. So this is great. And I asked him how long I should take, and he said, just copy the first service. So, <laughs> so buckle in. All right, so this morning, our worship destination, as we looked at earlier, is in Christ we can find peace and rest. And you may have noticed, as Caleb just excellently read the passage, the word peace isn't found in the passage this morning. In verse 1, you see that he talks about peace in a different way, maybe in the opposite. In verse 1, if you see it right there in the passage, which we'll look at a lot, so if you have your Bible, make sure you keep it open. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. Let, your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Don't be troubled. Believe in me. And I think and believe that this passage is pointing us to Jesus as the fulfillment of our hopes, our desires, as Jesus, the person of Christ, pointing to himself as the one who gives peace and rest to our troubled hearts. So this passage, I hope as we unpack it, what you see is that the essence of the Christian life, the essence of peace, is a personal understanding of God. To know Christ is to know peace. That's what I want to look at a little bit this morning. Um, And I wonder how you read this passage. It's a well-known passage. Um, I grew up in the youth group where we sang Big Big House. Does anyone, you know, anybody else? Okay, we got a few Big Big House It's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. It's a big, big table with lots and lots of food. Uh, It's a big, big yard where we can play football, right? We know this. Excellent. Well done. We can sing it in just a minute. So the thing is, I've always thought about this passage in light of that song. Um, it's It's a big place where we can play football, a big table where we can eat well, lots of rooms. It's like a mansion. Man, this place is awesome. But I think looking back, I sometimes maybe slipped into maybe a wrong view. And almost a view that started to treat Jesus as a means to an end. I believe in Jesus so I can have this big yard to play football. I believe in Jesus so I can get to this wonderful place. Oh, the food's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. And I almost started to see Jesus as a means to that end instead of the end itself. 
a student at Southeastern Bible College started noticing this, maybe in his own life, maybe in those around him as well, and he did a, a small survey at the mall, the Galleria, and he found, I think his survey was really small, it was about 50 people, and he surveyed them. They had to be Christians, so they, they said, yes, I'm a Christian, and he started asking them questions, and they, they were happy to, to do this brief survey, at least these 50 people were. But as he started to ask various kinds of questions, they started to imply that they would be happy with getting to heaven even if Jesus wasn't there. Um, There was only one elderly lady, he said. She said, if Jesus isn't there, I don't want to be there either. And the survey started to kind of reveal maybe a way we slip into thinking at times. I'd love to get to heaven. It's going to be glorious. It's wonderful. No more sickness, which is great. Um, Happiness and joy, which is great. But if Jesus isn't there would we still be there? That's kind of a trick question because they're incompatible. They can't exist. Um, but this, this survey kind of opened his eyes, and my eyes really too, to a tendency for us to do that. Are we satisfied? Are our longings, are our hopes, are our desires satisfied in the person of Jesus? Is he our peace? Or is it the things he can get us? We see in this passage Thomas Thomas is confused. Jesus says that he's going to prepare a place, and he says that he wants to know where this is, and Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Me, who you're looking at, the person that's standing before you, I am that way. It's not that you need to get information to find this out. Jesus is cluing Thomas and us into the supremacy, his supremacy and sufficiency to bring peace to our hearts. Jesus, not the things we might be able to get out of that relationship, but he himself, knowing Jesus. So Christianity, thus eternal life, is about a person and knowing him. So there's a few implications I'd like to maybe kind of, for a few moments, unpack here. And the first one is, Jesus alone gives us peace by giving us access to the Father. So when Jesus says he is the way, there is a lot going on in those two words. When Jesus says, I am the way, what does he mean? Um, You might hear some say, well, what he means there is if we follow his example and live like him, then that's the way. And some would say, well, all he just means is we can't have other gods. But really, nestled in this phrase is so much more. And so let me take a minute to unpack that a little bit. And neither of those are necessarily wrong. We shouldn't, that does mean that Christ is the only way to salvation. That's true. It does mean that we should see his life and see how he lived and how he loved, and we should do likewise. But there's more. He says that. He says he's the way, the truth, and the life in light of what he just said about preparing rooms. Now, what in the world, what is Jesus doing? Is he like fluffing pillows? Is he like turning down cosmic beds? Is he putting testaments on the pillows? Like, what, what is Jesus doing when he talks about preparing a room in his father's house? I don't know about you, but that's just odd language, and I'm, I'm not sure. So if we start to look at John's gospel in the context, we might have some clues. You might remember in John chapter 2, Jesus walks into the temple, and he gets mad at some money changers. Why does he get mad? He says to them, you will not make my father's house a house of trade. And he's upset with them. So he's he's talking about his father's house in relation to the temple, 
right? His father's house, the temple. And then in that same chapter, he walks out, and the, the, the Pharisees, the, the, the religious folks are mad at Jesus, and they say, how dare you, you teach like this and talk like this? Give us a sign for doing these things. And what does, he, what does Jesus say? Tear down this temple, and in three days I will raise it up, right? And then it says he was talking about his body. So Jesus' is, Father's house is the temple. The temple is the body of Christ. We have to recall, and this gets lost on our 21st century lens, but for the Israelite in the first century, the temple was a sign that God was dwelling with his people. The temple was a sign that God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, was living amongst his people and dwelling with them. But what we find out, what the gospel writers tell us, is the temple was always a signpost pointing to who? Jesus. The temple was always pointing to a time where God would dwell with us. He would take on flesh of humans. He would dwell with us. And that's why in John 1.14, he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, just like the glory of the temple. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So what Jesus, I think, is getting at is that he's, he's preparing a place, but not maybe a physical place. He's using spatial terms to give us a relational reality. Spatial terms for a relational reality. So maybe what he's really getting at is Jesus is going to prepare the consummation of all time. The consummation where we will dwell with God forever. As we see in Revelation chapter 21, it says a new heaven and new earth coming down and God will dwell with his people. They use this spatial language for a relational reality. The consummation of all time where you and I, believers in Christ, because we love Jesus, will dwell and have peace and safety and security. Those things in tandem. I think also, how did, how did priests enter the temple? Through a sacrifice. The priests would make sacrifice so they could enter into the Holy of Holies to be with God. And what Jesus seems to be indicating is he's not only the means, but he's the end. He's the end and he's the means. He says, no one can come to the Father except through me. So we're entering into this relational reality, if you want to use spatial terms, the temple, entering this relational reality through the blood and work of Christ, through the resurrection of Christ. We come through the person to have relationship with God. The Father so loves the world and so loves us that he gives his only son to be the sacrifice we couldn't be, to make the sacrifice we couldn't make, to defeat death and hell, so that we can walk in life, so that we can walk in truth, so that we can walk in relationship. It's pointing to the supremacy of Christ. Warren Buffett, very wealthy man, one of the top five, uh, some have said he's the second wealthiest man in the world. Um, back in June 2006, he said that he was going to give 85% of his $44 billion, that's with a B, Billion dollars, 85% of his $44 billion to five different charitable foundations. And this is what he said about this gift that he was going to make. There is more than one way to get to heaven, but this is a really great way. 
So he's saying there's more than one way to get to heaven, but this is, a, so he's saying that this charitable donation that he's giving is a great way for me to get to heaven, right? We often play this card where we want it to be on our terms and our efforts to get to heaven. We have a tendency to fret, worry, and labor to get to God, which is the opposite of peace. We labor, we toil, we obey, thinking that this will get us to heaven. And we often fall into this trap. Look at Peter in chapter 13. I won't um, go there in the passage. I will read a few verses in a moment. But chapter 13, how does it start? Peter will not let Jesus wash his feet. He said, no, you will not wash my feet. That is, no, uh-uh. I'm not going to let you wash my feet. That's not going to happen. But then what happens at the end of chapter 13? Same chapter. What happens at the end? Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will now not crow until you have denied me three times. What's Peter doing? You won't serve me, Jesus, but I'll lay my life down for you. Right? His own terms. I'll sacrifice. Buffett will sacrifice his money. Peter will lay down his life. But what Jesus is saying is that it is only my work. It's the supremacy of Christ. Only I can lay down what you need. Only I can make the sacrifice that allows you to enter the Holy of Holies, to have relationship with the Father. And I think, if we're honest, we fall into the same trap that Peter and Warren Buffett fall into. We, we want to have um, use our power to have peace. We'll sacrifice time, money, effort to get where we want to get. But the Father knows we're not able to. So he takes on flesh and he does it for us. This is the good news of the gospel. Our toil can't win the day. Only Christ can. We find peace, eternal peace, with God through the sacrifice of Christ. Romans 5 says it this way, more than that, we also rejoice, I love that word rejoice, in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What he say? We can rejoice. I just feel like that's an overwhelm of peace, overwhelming sensation. We can rejoice because we now have reconciliation to the Father because of what Christ has done and only Christ can do. So Christ brings us eternal peace because he is the way into relationship and life with God. He's the only way. He has to do what we were unable to do. Another thing I noticed, so he gives us eternal peace with the Father. Another thing I noticed is that God shows us the truth, or Jesus shows us the truth of who God is. Look at verse 7, and I'm going to add on verse eight and nine, verses 8 and 9 here. It reads this way. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said, have I been with you so long, and yet you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Peace cannot come through mere head knowledge about Jesus. Philip has been with Jesus for three years, and he doesn't get it. 
Like, this is really encouraging for me. I don't know about you guys, but Philip has walked with Jesus for three years, and he's still lost. He still doesn't get it. And Jesus is calling, have you not been with me for this long, and you still don't know who I am? Like, get with it, Philip. I'm in good company. And I realize how often and how easy it is for me to be Facebook friends with God, right? Think about Facebook. Some of you are on it. Some of you have no clue what I'm talking about. That's fine. Um, but think about Facebook. Maybe you meet someone in passing. Maybe you know a friend who knows a friend that would be a good business connection or someone like that. So you, what do you do? You go to Facebook, right? And you stalk them, right? It's about Facebook stalking. You go on Facebook and you check them out. You know, Facebook, evidently, from the movie at least, it was made so that guys could find out about girls before they actually met them, I guess. So they would go and stalk them, find out their favorite colors and their interests and hobbies. How often are we like that with God? We know the information. We know what he's done. We can tell you the stories in the scripture, how he saved people from Egypt, part of the Red Sea. We can tell you information about him. But do we let him into the deepest parts of our lives? Do we pray and say, God, here is my doubt that I'm wrestling with. Here's my fear. Here's my tears that have become my food by night, as the psalmist would say. Like opening him up as a person to come in and walk into the darkest parts of your night and your day and your heart and your mind and let him in. A Facebook friend you keep at a distance. They're controllable. You can know what you want, do what you want with them, but they're at a distance. Do you go to God like you would a real friend? Maybe you message them on Facebook or text them so that you can go meet with them face-to-face. And here, Christ is saying, I am the truth of reality, and I've come to meet with you, come to take on flesh and blood. When I meet non-believers or atheists or agnostics, and we're chatting, having a conversation, and they find out I'm a believer. And maybe you've experienced this too. They find out you're a believer. And immediately, it almost seems without batting an eye, well, what do you think about this big issue? Or what do you think about this political stance? They want to know answers. And that would work if Jesus was a philosophy. If he was just facts to know. And it's much easier to treat Jesus as a philosophy rather than a person to know and to love. And so I talk with him and I said, well, Those are some really big questions, important questions about pain and suffering, about why God would do this or why why he wouldn't do that. Those are important and big questions. But let me ask you this. Is he Lord? Is he God in the flesh? Is he who he says he is? Because if we can answer that question first, then we can talk about the other questions. Because if he's Lord of my life, then maybe how we answer these big questions will change. If he really is God in the flesh who governs my destiny and holds his breath in my hands, then it might change how I answer some of these big, pressing questions of the day. But you have to answer, is he Lord, the person of Christ? Is he Lord? That's first. Then we can get into the philosophical and theological and doctrinal questions. But it's much easier to just treat him as doctrines, isn't it? It's nice. You can debate it, sit around. I love in John chapter 7. Um, this wasn't in my notes, so bear with me. But in John chapter 7, the religious leaders have s- sent to go get Jesus. Uh, Nicodemus is there, and they come back, and they haven't gotten Jesus. And they say, well, why didn't you, why didn't you get him? I mean, you went to go get him. Why, why don't you have him? And they said, no one speaks like this man. Right? It was nice when we were sitting in our comfortable round table talking about him as a doctrine or as an idea, but then we met him, and it's different. 
No one speaks like this man. He's different. He is Lord. And when we realize this about Christ, we start to find peace. We don't have to govern our lives. I mean, we have to be responsible adults. I'm not saying that. But he holds our lives. He governs. He directs. He loves us and moves us and cares for us and provides for us. He's Lord of our lives. The small measures of peace that we taste on earth never come from places or philosophies, do they? Like, I don't know that many philosophies just give you peace. Like, inner peace. Oh, that was a great philosopher. Man, he just gave me so much peace. It usually comes from knowing people, doesn't it? They say home is where the heart is, where the people you love are. So think about the people you love. If they're not at your house, well, you want to be where they're at. If they're at the beach, you want to be there. If they're at the lake, you want to be there. If they're you know, traveling somewhere else, you want to be where your family is. And I know that for me, I think of Heather and Daniel, I love going home at the end of the day, not because it's a building that I like, but because they're there. They're there. And that's where my love is. Daniel and Heather. Heaven, this this place being prepared for us, is where we go to find our love, to be reunited, to meet Christ, the person. He's not just a doctrine. He's not just following the rules of the Bible. He means if we know him, then we know the Father's heart. We don't... See, this is a trap that I used to be in so often, and I still can fall into it. It's easy to think that we have to obey in order to get in, to know him. We obey him because we know him. It's very different. That's, you change those two, one is Christianity, one is something else. You don't obey to know. You know him. And then you say, your Lord, govern my life. So we find peace with God, eternal peace with God through Christ. Through the sacrifice, through the work, through the resurrection of Jesus, we find eternal peace with God, reconciliation. We find the truth of who we are and who Christ is. And one last thing that stuck out to me, these things that give us peace, is that Jesus is our peace because he holds our lives in his hands. Everything we are and everything we do finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Jesus isn't an add-on. He's not an accessory like oh, if I get Jesus, that'll really help me get business. Or if I add on Jesus, that'll really help my business grow, or that'll improve me, or maybe I'll get wealthy because he'll love me. No, that's not how it works. He is the reason you do what you do. The person of Christ is the reason that you do what you do and live how you live and interact in the world with hope and grace and truth. Why? Because he gives us access, gives us peace with the Father, He gives us peace knowing that he is a good Lord who governs our lives. And he becomes the reason we do what we do and live. Think about the disciples for a second. We've seen Peter, chapter 13. We've seen Thomas. We've seen Philip. How does that end for them? They all run away, right? The disciples depart. Jesus is arrested and they flee. Peter's denying him. Everyone's rejecting Christ. Things don't go as they see fit. They don't have peace. They're huddled in a dark room, scared and afraid. What's going to happen? What are we going to do now? We've left our business. Do we go back? Fear, anxiety, worry, the opposite of peace. All they can see is what's before them. 
that's as far as their vision will let them see, is what's right in front of them, the fears, the worries, the doubts, the concerns of the day, the big questions, they've lost sight of Christ. And yet the words of Jesus still haunt us, right? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There's two Greek words for sight. The Greek word blepo, which means to see like I'm seeing you guys and you're seeing me now. I see figures and I see motions. I see the sky. I see the light trees. Blepo, to see, eyesight. But there's another Greek word, harao, and it means to understand, to let it sink into the deep parts of who you are and let it change you, to understand. And when Jesus says, you have seen me, he is not saying, you've just seen me, like my beard and my clothes. If you've seen me, if you harao, if you understand me, you understand the Father. Think about the, ro- the guys walking to the road, on the road to Emmaus. They're kind of seeing life. They're seeing things. They're seeing events. But when they break bread, they understand. Jesus is saying, if you've seen me, if you understand what I am and who I am, you have seen the Father. Blepo and Harao, this is the same words in John 20 when Peter and John are running to the tomb. Right? You might recall they're running to the tomb. John beats Peter. He's super fast, wicked fast. He gets there and he looks at it and he blepos. In the Greek it says, John blepos into the, uh, into the tomb. He sees. But when Peter gets there, he looks in and he hurrao. And it says he believes. We can see, but not see. Even Philip, he's seen Jesus for three years and yet he doesn't understand. He's blepo, but he's not hurrao. And what Jesus is coming to do is to open our eyes to see who he really is, the person of Jesus, that we might see and understand so that we might have the peace of Christ no matter what happens. So we often think, well, if I get to heaven, it'll be peaceful and blissful, uh, no more war, no more disease, and those are wonderful things. Lord, haste the day. (laughs) But what's powerful about the peace of Christ is we can be here with terror threats on every side, not sure what the economy is going to do, not sure how our children are going to grow up, and yet have peace that passes understanding because the person of Christ is real to us. We understand. Daniel, um, I don't know, this is not uncommon, I guess, but Daniel struggles every once in a while, I think this happened like four times, with night terrors. And I don't know if any of you parents have had a child that has night terrors. Um, Again, not uncommon, but pops up. They don't really know why. And one time, a couple of weeks ago, Daniel is just bawling, crying out loud. And so we rush into the room. We pick him up, and he is crying out for mommy and daddy. He's crying out for us. And we're holding him in in our arms, and he's just crying out, and he's wailing, and tears are just running. I mean... Banshee yells going on in the room. Like, Daniel, we're here. We're here. His eyes are open. He can blepo us, but he doesn't understand that mommy and daddy are there holding him. He can't understand that. It's it's a weird phenomenon. His eyes are open. He's yelling for us, and we're sitting there holding him in the dark. And we're holding him. This night terror. He can see, but he can't understand. And what... We so often do, and what I do in life is I see the stresses, I see the worries. I'm like, the night is all around us. I mean, what's going on? But the person of Christ says, I'm holding you. 
I am your life. I've got you. I'm your Lord. I'm the way. I've made the way for you. I've got you in my arms. Your Father's here. I can see, but we don't always understand. And then we realize our eyes are open and we see the light of Christ, right? As John says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus breaks into the night terror, and he opens our eyes to say, I've been holding you this whole time. See and understand. Isn't this what happens? Jesus, after the resurrection, he comes to these disciples who are afraid and are worried. They don't understand. They have all these questions. And he sees them. And what's the first thing that Jesus says in the Gospels? Peace be with you. (laughs) I've got this. I'm Lord over the universe. I'm Lord over all. Me. Peace be with you. I have defeated death. I've defeated hell. Peace be with you. The person of Jesus steadies us. Not the place we will one day get. Not the philosophies we can craft of him. The person of Christ steadies us. He holds us in his arms. C.S. Lewis said, Heaven will solve all of our problems, but not by showing subtle reconciliations between all our apparent contradictions. The notions and contradictions will be knocked out from under their feet we shall see there were never any problems to begin with. Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, has you. He has me. He's made a way for us to have peace with the Father. He knows us. He is our life. He is the light of the world. I want to close with Colossians 3 because this kind of sums up this so beautifully about how Jesus is our life and how that should give us peace. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things of earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with God in Christ, or hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Today, may we take great peace and hope, because Christ has made a way for us. He is the truth of who we are and who he is. And he is our life. The light of the world come to rescue us. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we pray, as um, the band comes up to lead us, as Jim comes and stands at the front, as anyone may come and make a decision, Lord, I pray that during this time of commitment, this would sink into us, sink into our hearts. Not that we would just see this message with our eyes, but understand it. Allow us to love you. Allow us to see you more than we can understand. Allow us to know you in a deeper way that we might have peace and hope and comfort in a world that can't offer it apart from you. Father, thank you for loving us so well. In your name we pray, amen.